your Locked On Canadiens, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to episode 498 of Locked On Canadians. And we are brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchups. Winner take all. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash hockey and use promo code hockey for a 100% deposit match. In the meantime, my name is Laura Saba. I'm one of your co-hosts. And today I am not joined by Scott Matla. I'm joined instead by Julian McKenzie, a favorite of the show, a favorite of the listeners, a favorite of the hosts, and he is host of the Chris Johnson Show on the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, and he is also an associate editor at The Athletic. He's also got about 14 million other jobs and 14 million other podcasts. Julian, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I guess I got to start cutting down on some of these jobs and podcasts. 14 million is a little bit much. And so, Julian, I am really appreciative of you taking time out of said 14 million podcasts and 14 million jobs. You are one of the hardest working people in sports. Um, that means a lot. Thank hang you. Hang out with us every time. Every time we have you on, there's a new uh, there's a new accomplishment or a new success, and we're both so so thrilled. I know you work you've worked really really hard to get to where you are. And I, for one, I have to say, I've really been enjoying the CJ show. So before we launch into our mailbag questions, why don't you tell our listeners a little uh, a little bit about the CJ show and how this kind of came about? Cool. So uh, the Chris Johnston show is a show where I basically get to kick it with Chris Johnston, a uh, NHL insider who does work for Nordstar who, in affiliation with the Toronto Star. Uh, he's also appearing on a TSN as well. He used to be at Sportsnet for a number of years, was also at the Canadian Press, uh, but now he has brought his talents over to TSN uh, as of this summer. And of course, he has the show. And uh, yeah, we just talk about some of the biggest stories uh, in the National Hockey League and CJ being in the position that he's in. Sometimes he gets to uh, go in on some uh, some breaking news and some stories uh, going around in the uh, the NHL world. Last few last few episodes, I'll admit, have been a bit uh, dry when it comes to news. I think after the Jack Eichel trade kind of happened, the hot stove kind of tapered off a little bit. But don't worry, once we uh, uh, once we head into like the new year and stuff like that, I think it'll start to pick up again. And plus, we've still found ways to kind of pass the time and and you know talk about some good stuff too. So. Yeah, it's a really fun show where we talk about a lot of NHL news. He breaks down a lot of stories we've had before where we were in the middle of recording and like like a signing will happen. I think we were doing an episode once where Carey Price being admitted, admitted into the player's assistance program. That broke like halfway through our recording and we kind of had to switch gears on that. So you never really uh, know what to expect for any given episode with CJ, but uh, he's a great man. And uh, he and uh, Adam and Steve and Jesse, they've all been really great with the SDPN. They actually around this time last year, actually, they asked me about uh, wanting to get involved with them. And I didn't know what I was going to get myself involved in. And then it eventually turned into the CJ show. And I know we kind of went in on it with uh, the episode where we talked about CJ joining TSN, but uh, we kind of went through some, uh, some blocks from some exterior forces before the podcast came to light. And then eventually it did. And now we're I mean, we're not at 500 episodes yet, but uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're approaching 20. I think that's a pretty cool milestone for ourselves. So, yeah, it's a really fun show. You can subscribe to the show on YouTube, 
on Spotify, on Apple, Google Podcasts, if that's still a thing, Amazon Music. I know someone asked for it to be on Amazon, so we're there. Pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to The Chris Johnston Show. Please uh, subscribe, leave a like or a rating or a review or anything like that because that's good for us. So what I really like about it is that there's a little bit of something for everyone. As you pointed out, there hasn't been a whole lot in the way of news, but I think some of the things that I listen to and I hear, there's a little bit of informed speculation, right? Obviously, CJ's an insider. He knows a little bit of what's going on. So when he gives his opinion on a topic that's going on in the NHL, a lot of times, like I find that there's a lot of weight to it. He takes it seriously. He doesn't, you know, for, for things that really need to be given that weight. But I also, one of the um, episodes that I found really, really interesting, and I think a lot of, for people who aren't like fully in the know about that stuff, and and it was really, really eye-opening as to how it worked. And it was one of your earliest episodes, and it was sort of uh, talking about how this whole thing came about and how CJ's career has gone and, and and I learned a lot of stuff and you you spoke a little bit about, about your experience as well. I thought that was really cool. But then on the other hand, you've got episodes where you talk about something that's, you know, you know, like the Kyle Beach story or something like that. And then there's some where there's some rumors floating around or some some people talking about things that may or may not happen. And he gives his informed speculation about that. And I, I really, really enjoy the podcast and I highly recommend it to people who are into hockey. If you're not already listening, uh, you don't need me to be telling you to listen to the CJ show, but I think it's it's a great thing. And, and um, I, I, I absolutely think we should have you telling everyone to listen to the CJ show. You have the audience that you have. It can't just be me telling people to listen to the CJ show. It's actually don't stop telling people to listen to our podcast. Obviously, listen to the Locked On Canadian show, which is a very great show with uh yourself and Scott Matla, two great friends of mine, but like, you know, listen to the CJ show and listen to everything that Laura Saba is saying. I, you know what? Listen to everything Laura Saba is saying is definitely something that you should do. And what I'm going to do right now is really quickly, while you're listening to everything I'm saying, talk about our giveaway, and then we're going to get into the mailbag. So here's what happened. We are almost at 500 episodes. We wanted to do something nice for some friends of ours, as well as our listeners. So what Scott and I are doing uh, is we are giving away now three. Yesterday, we talked about two giveaways, and then we've, we've added a third one to the list at stake or up up for grabs not at stake <laughs> up for grabs are a t-shirt from 514 shirts a friend of ours uh, you could also get stickers from jd young designs another friend of ours and then now you get a habs scrunchie or mask of your choosing from shana goldman's etsy store and hey, all of these don't we love uh, uh, uh. yeah hey, she, she's shana. the homie she's the homie she's the homie she's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah so, so that's what we're going to be doing. So, and I actually have a shirt. I have the stickers and I have lots and lots of things from Shana's store. I can personally vouch for the quality. And so the way the giveaway is going to work is the first five episodes of December, there's going to be a keyword randomly sprinkled in. Uh, you will know it's the keyword because we'll say it. And then at the end of that, we'll have everybody email us the phrase, the five, the five word phrase. And we're going to pick a name out of that. And also there will be retweet opportunities as well for the stickers. The stickers are going to be a Twitter giveaway. The t-shirts and the scrunchie will be two prizes that we offer for listening to the first five episodes of December and sending us the keyword phrase. And also for the 500th episode, Scott is going to be on video drinking a really horrifying drink that I can't even begin to describe. I'm going to leave it as a surprise for our listeners. And we're going to thank JD Young for that as well, because Scott jokingly said that he would chug it for the show. And then JD found it 
and spent $25 sending it to Scott. What the heck? Yes. It is horrifying and gross. And I am so excited. Well, at least he's not lighting himself on fire. That's good. Well, when I tell you what what it is, you'll be like, okay, there's like an element of lighting itself on fire. So Julian, like after we're done recording, I'll tell you what the drink is. The listeners, it'll be a surprise for you. Uh, In the meantime, thank you so much for getting us to almost 500 episodes. And we've still got tons of cool guests and stuff coming up in the coming weeks. Oh, we've got our book club. Now we're going to start talking to the authors of the books we're recommending to you. And we're so, so excited about that. If you missed our episode with Amanda Suzuki earlier this week, please check it out. She had a lot of insight into her son Nick's journey into the NHL, talked a little bit about what he's like. We learned a little bit more about Ryan as well. And that was one of our favorite episodes we've ever done because Amanda is so delightful. Also delightful, my current guest co-host, Julie McKenzie, and we will have more. We'll actually get into our mailbag. That's coming up in just one moment. But first, no one plays daily fantasy sports to lose. Winning feels so much better, but traditional fantasy sports are a long-term losing proposition because you never know who or what you're up against. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchups, winner take all. And here's the crazy part. Stat Hero shows you their lineups before you play and you handpick the team you want to face one-on-one. This never-before-seen innovation of a fantasy sports and sports betting hybrid has Stat Hero players clocking odds that are over four times better. Why? Because you don't have to compete against thousands of experts or unknowns. Stat Hero puts you in control of your fate. With Stat Hero, you're in control of the stakes. You decide how much you're going to play for, and Stat Hero has no choice but to take it because they're daring you to beat them. Stat Hero head to head is what daily fantasy should be one on one. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash hockey and use promo code hockey for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash hockey and use promo code hockey for a 100% match. Stathero.com slash hockey promo code hockey terms and conditions apply thanks as always for making us your first listen of the day and today on your first listen of the day i have a very special guest to uh help me go through the mailbag normally whoever's hosting will answer the questions but this time i want to put julian mckenzie on the hot seat and i'm gonna start i'm gonna ask these questions we're gonna try and get through them as quickly as possible so we stay within time i know you were familiar with that the first one comes from Jim, hockey in Ottawa. Not sure if you guys listened to the CJ podcast, but CJ speculated that MB won't finish the year and Matt Darsh would be his eventual replacement. I know I'm a day early for mailbag, but my question is, what do you guys think of that? I don't know. Julian, do you listen to the CJ podcast? Um, From time to time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, from time to time. You know, I I listen to the odd episode. With regards to that, it's not a surprise to me that uh, Mark Bergevin, I mean, I know nothing's out there definitively. For all we know, Jeff Molson might just like, do like a Friday news dump and announce that Mark Bergevin is staying for like another three years. And it turns out they came together on money and whatever. But I just felt that once the season started and there was no deal in place, like Mark Bergevin not being extended, uh, that just told me that he was probably going to seek greener pastures elsewhere. I don't think enough people realize this, but I think there are some people who, who genuinely thought like, you know, Hey, this is really just a money thing. And 
they'll find a way to come in the middle maybe but like i i figured i think this i have a hard time just thinking it's more it's just money really uh and maybe it really is but like i don't know like mark bergevin he came off a stanley cup final run the logan mayu thing i think is still very much a point of criticism for him and the way that the team handled that but i think if you're jeff bolson I can picture Jeff Molson looking at everything that's happened so far and thinking, okay, considering the other candidates that might not really be out there, Mark Bergman might be the best possible GM for this team right now. And I'll probably extend him to whatever money he might want. I don't know anything about what money he might be asking for. I don't know if he's asking for Julian Brisebois money. Uh, and if he's asking for Julian Brisebois money, get two Stanley Cups. <laughs> in the last two years and probably the best team of the salary cap era. Like I, I don't know if he should be making that type of money, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I think Mark Bergevin, I still think there's merit to the fact that Mark Bergevin recognizes the market that he's in and how tough it is to build any team and deal with the media in this market and deal with the pressures and expectations of being in this market. Like if you remember Laura from how he was, last year going through the bubble already dealing with COVID is stressful enough as it is, but the pressure of trying to put together a team to ensure that your job will essentially be secure, realizing that your team is starting to lose a bunch of games and it's starting to look like the team from the year prior that had two eight game winless streaks, including losses against teams like the senators and the red wings. So you get rid of your coach then you get rid of your goaltending coach at another point, just apparently smack in the middle of a game and you're at, you've had already added all these different pieces and you're making all these other things work. Like you see him at some of these media availabilities from last year. Like you could tell it's wearing down. It was wearing down on him. You could visibly tell it's Mark Bergman. So I still think there's something out there that tells me, even if money really is a big thing, there's a part of me that will always think that Mark Bergman probably would like the idea of going to another market and, either working as a GM or working in some other front office role where he's not going to be dealing with the pressures of the Montreal media and the fan base and all the, other, all the expectations that come with it. Don't get me wrong. If you win in Montreal, you know this firsthand. If you win in Montreal, you are treated like a God. But as soon as you lose, as soon as you're not up to par, it's, it's heavy, it's hard, and it's not easy to deal with. So him being in a, in a market like L.A., probably a little bit more ideal especially now considering where they are in their in their rebuild i guess i mean philip the is also chilling out there too so you, if you always go there i'm not saying that i know he's going to la but i i think there are so many other places where mark bergevin uh and with the track record that he has other organizations i think would try to try to pry him up somehow to have him in their steed and he could go through uh, all the motions there without any of the pressures that he would get in Montreal. My whole thing is Jeff Molson does, like there is probably a separation on philosophy uh, after this offseason. Probably after they got to the Stanley Cup final, maybe Jeff Molson was probably looking to extend him and Mark Bergevin maybe was just like, eh, I don't know if this is for me anymore. Now, after the offseason and the disastrous start, I think the mentality probably shifted. And it's interesting because my whole thing all along has been that Jeff Molson has no idea what to do because 
who's there that they're going to replace Mark Bergevin with. It's not a question of whether or not he wants to replace him. It's a question of who he wants to replace him. So Matt Darsh is a really, really intriguing possibility. And, you know, it remains to be seen. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I feel like we're going to find out before the end of the season, though. I I know they said there wasn't going to be talk before the end of the season, but I feel like we're going to find that out. I also think for all the people who are hoping that Jeff Molson says something, I don't think we're going to hear from Jeff Molson until that new guy is announced. Like a lot of people are thinking that, hey, Jeff Molson should step up and say something about this team, call a meeting or whatever, and do that. Someone, I remember Jess Resnack made a really interesting point, and Marco Antoine Godin also pointed this out too, with the way that Jeff Molson's been kind of handling some of his media availabilities. He had a media availability uh, somewhere out east, I think in Valdor, where the Canadians put out a press release, and they didn't even make it clear that he was there. It was essentially a surprise, and I don't think he even took questions at that availability as well. So if he's doing that for stuff that has nothing to do with the on ice product. Like I don't think it's realistic to expect that he's going to address the media uh, just about this team right now. So I I don't think we're going to see him say anything until they hire a new guy, whether it's Matt Darsh, whether it's Martin Madden, whether it is some other candidate we haven't even thought of who obviously will be a French speaking candidate and will be tasked with the job of leading the Canadians to prominence again. And I can't think of any other GM, well, probably not since Mark Pergevin, who will be put thrusted more pressure to not only produce a winning team on the ice, but ensure that the club, when it comes to developing prospects, is in a good place because they have to ensure that whatever staff they have there, whether they find a way to retain Trevor Timmons or they move on from him, they need to be adept in that area as well. And this kind of answers a question from Jared. What do you want to hear from Molson when he finally addresses the media and fires Bergevin? I personally would like to see a plan put in place that involves hiring a president. So as Julian, you just said, we likely aren't going to hear from him until such a change is made. I do think that, and Scott talked about this on our last episode, and he's he's brought this up a few times. I'm in full agreement that there should be a separation between president of hockey operations and general general manager of the hockey team. And I I know like people are like, oh, well, it's not really working out in Toronto, even though they quote unquote, they have a system and it's got, you know, two of the best candidates. And I'm like, that's Toronto's a special situation, right? Like if you look at the the talent that they have, they should have won a long time ago. They just keep choking, right? But like the idea and the philosophy, the separation to me makes a lot of sense. Me too. In Toronto, that is not necessarily a management thing. That is really like a mental thing in that locker room, or I'm not sure what, where just they've sustained so much losing and the dread that comes with it and the pressure that goes on in that environment, like that seeps in and whatever that doubt kind of creeps in, like it affects it. I don't think that's a a managerial problem necessarily. In Montreal, uh, yeah, I guess I could see the benefit in having a president of hockey operations, something, someone that's kind of separate uh, from ownership and 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 the GM and all that, uh, just to kind of be like a buffer, if anything else. And maybe Jeff Molson might be could be a little bit hands off with the team if he so chose. Um, the most important thing I would want to hear from him, I guess, uh, or kind of hear from him I, at this point, like I mentioned before, I don't think we'll hear from him until he announces a new GM for this team. I'd like to, if I had an opportunity to ask him questions, because I'm pretty sure when it comes time for him to speak, Arpin and Marc Antoine will probably handle that more. It'd be cool just to uh, get a sense of what, get a sense from him of what he wants from this team in terms of 
managing and developing prospects and also getting his thoughts on the team's reputation when it comes to the development of prospects over the last few years. And even if he, even if he does give an answer, like, you know, Hey, well, we were able to cultivate guys like Cole Caulfield and Ryan Paley, you know, I think that would still say so much about that answer because so many people look at what this team has been able to do with some of their young players and uh well it's not necessarily the best thing i don't know if you saw that that tweet exchange between rachel dory and uh grant mccag from a couple days ago and you know rachel, rachel dory pretty much kind of took grant mccag to school no disrespect but the canadians are in a position where yes they've there have been some gems that trevor timmons has been able to find over the last how many years in the draft but they haven't necessarily been able to turn all of them into everyday nhl players and for a lot of the guys that they took, whether it's just a question of rushing them or anything like that, like, or, or just offloading them for other pieces just to make other things work, their track record when it comes to prospects is very much something that uh, it's not the best situation, I would think, for, for the Metropolitan. So I would love to hear what Jeff Molson has to say on that on that facet when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens. So we're going to have the rest of our mailbag and we're going to have to race through it now, but Sorry. that's coming up. <laughs> I have long that's answers. Com- it's okay. Just shorten them for the next segment so we can get to everyone's mailback questions and nobody feels left out. And that's coming up in just one moment. But first it's Thanksgiving in the States. And we all know what that means. Football. And nothing goes better with football than Turkey and betting. Bet online has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds and lines than ever before bet online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this thanksgiving in the states head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your promo code locked on and that's 50 percent welcome bonus with the promo code locked on and it's not just football. Bet Online has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, we're stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. Every time I say that line, I die laughing. We are stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. <laughs> Don't forget that promo code <laughs> locked on. Thanks, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. And today we are doing a mailbag episode with special guest Julian McKenzie because Scott Matla is off for actual American Thanksgiving. So our next question comes from Locked on Anaheim Ducks. Hey, JD, you just talked about the Jersey jerseys on the last podcast, but which team is due for a Jersey rebrand and why is it the Ducks? You know what? Like... I didn't think about the Ducks as a team that would desperately need one, but I think they might actually be in need of one. And there's no better time than now, I think, than to kind of go back to the old school Mighty Ducks look, which a lot of people still like. I think it's a really cool jersey. uh, And they don't even need to bring back Mighty in their title. I think if they found a way to kind of go back to those old colors, make it a little bit new, I don't know, take some inspiration from the uh, the Mighty Ducks Disney Plus series and see what the jerseys they had going on uh, and see if that might work, right? So, yeah, I, I think the Ducks might be that team. I can't really think of anyone else who could really use, like, a stylistic overhaul. I think there's some teams out there who have some pretty decent jerseys, but, yeah, I think the Ducks uh, – I actually, no, the Ducks could use one, 
And I still think the Chicago Blackhawks uh, could definitely use one. We all know how we feel about the logo. So I think those two teams in particular could really use an upgrade. Our friend Goalie Droid asks, who would you want to coach this Habs team with no restrictions, as in not only no language restriction, but it doesn't matter if they already have a job, if they're a coach from another era or another league, a female coach, or you could go for a Ted Lasso situation, et cetera, et cetera. So who would you have coaching the Canadians, Julian, if it could be anybody from any sport, any era, any any language, any any gender, anything? It's a good question. Um, I'd like Ted Lasso to coach the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> I think all the media availabilities would be amazing. I would love to see uh, like a Ted Lasso, you know, just giving us these inspirational quotes while we're all looking at his team and wondering, oh, geez, this is a really bad team. This guy sure is really nice. Uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll say, honestly, anybody who is willing to give us a good quote, like I would like if Joel Bouchard ever came back and coached the Montreal Canadiens, like I could care less about, you know, what, how good he'll be for the team and what he'll do with the players and all that. I'm in it for the quotes. I'm in it for the all metaphors, the, the metaphors. Like one of my favorites from him was he was saying, um, He'd rather something like he like he'd rather tame a lion than paint stripes on a cat. Like he said something like that. And I was just like, okay, like this dude is just like he's just mm. like a fountain of quotes and all that. It was never a dull moment. One of my other favorite times was when Joel Bouchard, I was talking about Josh Brooke, and he was and he's that was like a weekend where he had him playing at forward and he started talking about when he was coaching younger kids about how like his their families would come up to him and be like, hey, my kid's a center. You know, my kid can only play that position. He's like, well, congratulations. You only limited him to like four jobs playing at the pro level. And he's like, well, if you're doing this with Josh Brooke and, and you're trying to getting him to, you know, play forward, like why don't other prospects do that? And then he just like, he kind of broke from like the whole like, you know, stoic media thing. And he kind of just looked at me like, oh my God, like, yes, like someone understands me. <laughs> Like clutch fist, like yes, like that's it, and he just kind of like went in, and I was just like, wow, this is like Joel Bouchard is realist. So honestly, for me, like I'm in it for, I'm not in it just to be like, oh yeah, I want the team to be the best. I'm in it for the stories, man. I'm in it for the fun. I'm in it for, you know, for it to not be boring. So if it's Ted Lasso, if it's Joel Bouchard, if uh, you get like I don't know some coach uh, from yesteryear who mysteriously was cryogenically frozen, you've brought him back to coach the Montreal Canadiens. I'm in it for that. I know it's not a serious answer, but that's that's how I'm feeling. Well, I mean, she did give us a lot of a lot of freedom that the actual real life Canadians don't have. But moving on, our friend Logan. I'm a novice to hockey, but I have years evaluating soccer and basketball, and it seems like Norlinger deserves a lot more ice time. He's calm on the puck, accurate with his passes, and controls play as what soccer calls a regista. Am I right or wrong? That's a really interesting way of looking at Matthias Norlander, and I never really thought of it that way. I think he might be a little bit too might be a little bit too premature to consider him as a regista, which, by the way, for those who don't know, it's it's the playmaker uh, for a soccer team, essentially. Uh, the guy who's kind of controlling play, making passes, trying to make everything happen. I don't know if Matthias Norlander is at that point yet where he can be counted on as a regista. He might have the tools to eventually be that one day, if that's ever a thing in hockey, but essentially just be this puck moving defenseman who can help 
generate offense from from the back end, which is something that this team is very much lacking this year. Like, I mean, a lot of people will point at the center depth and look at guys like Christian Dvorak and wondering why they're not necessarily playing up to snuff. But one big thing with this team is like they they I think they really were hoping for guys like Jeff Petrie to be able to contribute offensively and kind of help out the wingers and other forwards and attack when they were, you know, making their way up into the zone. But they haven't really gotten that. And then on top of that, they're not as good defending. But if Matthias Norlander is able to do that with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, they will have found themselves a good prospect from the draft class they took him in. So uh, I think he's he's got some tools. He might need a bit more seasoning, whether it's getting more NHL reps or deciding to just send him back to Ferlunda. But he's definitely, I think, uh, he's he's a bit of a work in progress, but not that far off. The offensive skills are there. And for a team like the Canadians, who have been void of offensive prime offensive talent for the last how many years, a lot of his skills are going to jump out off the page to a lot of people watching. Next question comes from our friend Hockey Freak. Why do I hate the Leafs, even though they are my favorite team? <laughs> I think that's just that's just being a Leafs fan, isn't it? I think that's so, just the man. experience of being a Leafs fan. Like one of my good buddies, uh, Omar from Zone Time. I I I love just like dunking on him and, and the Leafs because. As somebody like in my position who, you know, I'm just a journalist, I don't root for any team. Like you can't go to me and be like, oh, well, your team sucks. It's like, I don't root for any team. I don't feel anything. But knowing what he and a lot of Leafs fans go through, like some of the stuff that they've gone through is just kind of ridiculous. So like he, it's kind of easy to just kind of fall into that. Like one one example, uh, in the last episode of Zone Time we did, on Yahoo Sports, by the way, great podcast. I think you should check it out too. We talked about the Battle of Alberta and how, while as good as the Edmonton Oilers are with the team that they have, if they ran up against the Calgary Flames, a team that is a bit more defensive-minded, they've had the shutouts that they've had, the goaltending has been good. Um, I, I said that the Flames might actually have the upper hand because that style of hockey, we've seen it before, has proven to win teams' championships in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I mentioned, like, you know, and Omar's on the episode. I'm like, well, you could talk to Omar about what he saw with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens in the first round of the playoffs, where Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner were essentially shut down by the defensive style that the Canadiens played. And Omar just lost his mind. He was just like, oh, my God, like, why? Like, why was this going to come up? But, like, they suffered a lot of burns. It's kind of like the Atlanta Falcons in that Super Bowl where they had that 28-3 to lead and then they blew it. Like, I think if you go through stuff like that in your franchise, and I know the Falcons have also endured so much other stuff, but that culture of losing in these crucial moments and that dread kind of settling in whenever things start to go bad, like, you need a lot to have that purged. And I don't, maybe it's a little bit different to see how the players deal with that, but for fans, like, it's it's so difficult to to kind of distance yourself from and race the only way to literally cure it is to find ways to win and i think this year with whatever the leafs do if they win a playoff series this year i think that's going to undo some of that hurt they have to win this year if they lose this year they're cursed jared asks it's got to be hard covering the team when it's having a season like this how do you keep yourselves from being too negative i, I think mean, professionalism i mean one but also two like professionalism is always going to follow us in our jobs if, if we're gonna have to be if we have to be negative we have to be negative like i'm sorry like your team the team's only won like five games this year. Like there's not that much room to be overly positive. Right. And like, 
I don't know. I, I guess that's how we, we deal with it. But also the thing I'm more worried about is if the Canadians keep losing and uh, one, like you kind of run out of ways to describe the ways that they've been losing. And two, if enough people get turned off from all the losing that they don't care to you know read or consume your content. Like those are the two things that scare me. One thing I'll say about the Canadians, I'm actually trying to write about it uh, as we're recording right now. So by the time you guys listen to this, you know, uh, hopefully my article will be out. I don't know if you realize this, Laura, but like the Canadians, whatever they lose, they lose like pretty badly. When they win, they win pretty, pretty like spectacularly. When they lose, it's like they lose like by how many goals? They actually have uh, more losses where they've allowed five goals or more than the Arizona Coyotes do. And the Arizona Coyotes are built to lose games. So, like, <laughs> the Canadians aren't even in a situation where it's like, you know, uh, like, there's no middle ground for those guys. So, yeah, it, it's a bit of a weird thing. I mean, in terms of us trying not to be negative, like, I'm sorry, if the, if the team is bad, you're going to have to be negative. But the way that they're going about this year uh, might it, it's it's proving to be like historically bad. And there might be more stories coming out of that and more ideas out of that. So like that ultimately might help with story ideas and ultimately looking at some of the younger players we're going to come up to that might help as well uh, in terms of story ideas as well. But uh, in terms of, in terms of keeping from being negative, I mean, that's that's the market that we're in. You know what I'm saying? Like that's. Yeah, from my perspective and Scott's perspective, we've talked about it a little bit. And you try to stay positive in trying to find anything that's good, right? So, you know, when Cole Caulfield scored his first goal the other night or when he came back from the AHL looking more confident, when Norlinder made a good play, you know, those are the things that we try and focus on, even though we're not ignoring the negative, but we're trying to put more energy on the positive things. And we're trying, when we when we want to talk about it, we do rant a lot of the time. We do talk about the negatives. We do criticize. But we always ask ourselves the question, is this gratuitously negative? And when you get to the point where it's gratuitously negative, that's where our hard stop is. And we try to make it fun. Speaking of fun, Julian, I actually have a quick, quick question for you before we mm -hmm. get into the rest of the mailbag questions. I usually do a Montreal food rec every week for the the draft and so this week's category i'm gonna leave it up to you the category is dive bar what is a dive bar that let's say you're coming in for the draft whether you're a spectator uh, a journalist a parent uh, you know somebody who's just trying to be in montreal for the atmosphere what dive bar do you recommend they hang out in oh my god i don't really go to dive bars i don't know what even really you're like, a hockey I, journalist I, what the hell i don't like after i go to you know what's funny actually i was hanging out with my boy tristan damul and uh we were hanging out with um uh our good buddy mark mark um mark, mark uh, Dumont, actually and uh we went to mclean's i don't think that counts as a dive bar <laughs> it's I, it's an irish pub i think grumpy's but grumpy's maybe grumpies. Grumpies count? yes Grumpies count. All right. Grumpies Grump is our answer. That's our recommendation. Okay. And it's also within walking distance. So uh, that's our food rec of the week. And so next question, Jim Hockey in Ottawa. Given the fact that it's fake Thanksgiving, what American Thanksgiving thing do each of you find the weirdest other than obviously the existence of an American Thanksgiving? I think pardoning the turkey is like the weirdest freaking thing that I've ever like. Why would you pardon the turkey? You need to be atoning for the atrocities that you've committed uh, that I, have I, led to the American Thanksgiving is, is my perspective on that. I mean, yes, for sure. That has to also be acknowledged. My whole thing is just people who willingly post photos of their unseasoned and disgusting looking food on Twitter. That I think <laughs> I'm so is the glad most you did said you it. see did you see that photo of that one kid who had that plate and had that like pink goop on his table and on on his plate? Like it looked like his Pepto Bismol had lips <laughs> in it. 
<laughs> and like he went on Twitter and he said it was cherry jello, a uh, cottage cheese, pineapple, and whipped cream. And he kept saying it was good. Like, there's no defending that, my brother. Like that that looks bad. <laughs> That's what I think is the weirdest thing. So for those of you who didn't listen to our episode yesterday, Scott and I had a discussion in which he had to tell me what the value in casserole was because I said I don't eat it because it's a white people food. So <laughs> listeners, go listen, yeah. <laughs> go listen to that. So our friend Rams asks us, what's your favorite substack for the flames? There is literally only one answer. Our listeners already know this. It is the Scorch Stack. And if you read any other substack that is flames related, then you are dead to us is the answer. Julian, would you agree? Yeah, I'm just going to agree with that, honestly. And our favorite people write for the Scorch Stack. So subscribe to the Scorch Stack, Scorch Stack Forever, and Scorch Forever as well. All right, our friend Brandon. I know it would not be the greatest defensively, but I'd be interested to see Hoffman get some playing time with Suzuki and Caulfield. I think they could use a left shot to give him some more options. And we're or- if we're already down 5 nothing, then why not try that? Would you try that? I, honestly, why not try different things, I guess? Uh, I'm a guy like Mike Hoffman, uh, I think for this team, considering the fact that they've struggled so much with scoring goals just putting him in any opportunity where he's able to just produce and and score goals i'm not sure about him being like a puck handler or anything like that but just putting him in a a position where he's able to just score goals whether it's from the ovechkin spot or wherever he just feels comfortable that's i think the ideal situation you kind of want to put him in and uh brandon suggested this lineup i'm just really quickly going to say this is his opinion and then we always encourage our listeners to send us your lineup opinions as well uh drew ryan suzuki caulfield to foley dvorak anderson lekin and evans gallagher pizetta paling armia and pocket no we don't want pocket in this lineup that is my opinion and scott's opinion (laughs) well well the thing is is that from that lineup i think that's what actually was the case in buffalo on thursday because they moved up Druan to the top line with suzuki and caulfield and they moved to fully down to uh dvorak and anderson's line so they broke up that line of Druan dvorak anderson which i thought might have been the more consistent offensive line mostly because of the fact that Jonathan Drouin has been driving that line with the way that he's been able to help set up guys and get points for for, for Anderson and Dvorak. So I think that's the Canadians trying something different. And I think Paquette would probably be the extra forward in this scenario. I'm just going to agree with what you said. I also do like Drouin Suzuki Caulfield. Just, I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. I think it's going to get the, the younger guys going, but I also feel like it's, it's just a trying new thing and not necessarily a permanent situation. Brandon has another question. If the Sens don't end up getting a new building closer to downtown, could there be a scenario where the NHL and Quebec were convinced Melnick to sell the team and move them to Quebec City? First of all, I don't think so, because Gary Bettman saved the Ottawa franchise. Like, it's his, like, you know, it's the thing where he, like, I think it's he, he counts it as one of his accomplishments. And Eugene, Eugene Melnick makes inexplicable decisions. I don't think he's going to sell the team. I think he lives in a world where he thinks that this team is going to make him the billionaire that he imagines, imagines himself to be. <laughs> you can go on his... You know, you can go on the cruise ship whenever he wants to with uh, whoever he so chooses. And as long as they don't drive into the middle of the ocean, he won't feel seasick. And I think even if the uh, the auto, if the NHL even wanted to move that Ottawa Senators franchise, uh, there's a really big city in Texas by the name of Houston that's in need of an NHL franchise that I think has like an insane amount of people. I don't know how many relative to the rest of the other big U.S. cities. But that is an untapped NHL market waiting to be exploited. And if the Sens aren't going to be that team, which I'd be still surprised about, it could very well be the Arizona Coyotes. But even then, they're trying to figure out their lease situation at home. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, the NHL will stick in the United States before they ever go 
back to moving another team to uh, north of our borders. Our friend, maybe it's Ian, asks, it's American Thanksgiving. Who is the greatest American to play for the Canadians? Who is the greatest American to play for the Canadians? Um, I feel like I should know this. I also uh, feel like I should know this. The greatest American to play for the Montreal Canadiens? Uh, I think for people who have grown up in, in my era, the first name that comes to mind might be uh, Brian Gianta in terms of the fact of, of with his leadership and uh, he, he, he guided the team through the 2010 run. Max Pacioretty, maybe, but mm-hmm. um, that's a good question. Greatest American to play for... The Montreal Canadiens. Is it Max Pacioretty? Chelios, Chris Chelios? That's John the LeClaire? thing with, with a question like this is that it's always going to be some guy that I thought was Canadian all along and he's one of the historic greats and then it turns out he's American. So you know what, Ian, I'm going to get back to you because I'm going to do my research on this one because for the longest time I also thought like current player Josh Anderson was American because he has nope. American vibes. He's not. He's from like Burlington, Ontario or something. All mm-hmm. right. We've got two questions left. Tara asks us, who is the best dressed Hab and whose style would you like to see add more interesting details? Um, shout out Kara one time. Uh, also shout out Sarah Sivian, who uh, I don't think has ever put any of the Canadians in any of her style rankings. If that has been the case, uh, I am happy to be proven wrong. So yeah, it's kind of tough for me to tell like who really has like that actual style. Not to say they don't have actual style, but like it's it's so much tougher now. Where like you're not really like back at like last year when I was when I was going to games before the the pandemic really hit, or I guess like the season before. There would be that brief moment where I'm like walking into the building, and then like you see like a guy like coming in with like wearing a suit. But more often than not, now I come in at a point where like the guys are already changed and like they're like you know uh, training gear or whatever, and they're like playing soccer like like just like outside the rink or whatever. So I don't really get a sense to see what their style actually is. So I think this feels like a cop out. I don't think I have a good enough answer for, for this in terms of style. And it doesn't even seem as if like they're the type of guys who are going to be like, yeah, man, I'm wearing like these dope ass threads and I'm going to post them on IG and everyone's going to know. Like they just kind (laughs) of dress like, they kind of dress like, you know, hockey players, I guess. I don't know. So that's, that's my answer to that. I'm sorry. I can't answer that sufficiently Kara. Because uh, you know we always talk about style, so uh, yeah, I don't I don't think there's anyone on the Canes with that much drip. So our good friend Jay of the Locked On Blue Jackets podcast sent us some pictures of Josh Anderson when he first joined the team, and uh, he's got a little bit of a decent fashion sense. I think Josh Anderson. I I like to fully style, but the sense that I get is that it's all cat behind it and not Tyler. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Mm. Uh, who could be more interesting? I feel like the young guys could be a little bit more interesting because I feel like they're in that transition phase where like they had their mom's advice on suits and now it's like their <laughs> girlfriend's <laughs> advice on suits. And so like I feel like they're they're sort of they're they're going according to advice and not developing their individual style. And so I'd like to see that uh, is is the, the the answer to who should be more interesting. And our final question is from our nemesis, as you know. Our show nemesis, Will, likes to torture us with impossible questions to answer. This time he went a little bit easy, probably because Scott is off tonight. Which horror movie do you think you could survive if it was real? Probably none. I'm not like a horror movie guy at all. I would be really like, um, if you count Get Out as a horror movie, it's more suspenseful. I think maybe just because 
Or actually, you know what? I'll tell you what. Like, I don't know if you ever watched that movie Get Out. You watched the movie Get Out, Laura? Yeah, I've watched it a couple of times, actually. I'm not really a big horror person, but I literally went to see that because everyone was like, you have to see yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, like, once I, like, open the box in the girl's room and see all the photos of, of, of her with all the different boyfriends that she had, yeah, I'm definitely doing the I'm doing the dash. I'm getting the hell out of there. Like even when her dad's where saying are the keys? all like where are, yeah, the keys? where are the keys? Yeah, like I like here that's a whole other thing too, man. Like, I mean, then again, I think it was her car, I guess, but like I don't know. Yeah, it was or, her car. I don't remember yeah. it was her car. But or like, she was um, driving or something like that. She was driving for sure, I think. Uh also remember at the beginning, near the beginning of the movie, like the cops. At one point, like, pull them over. She, like, does everything she can to ensure that, like, the police don't see her boyfriend's ID. I think I'd have a chance to survive, to survive in that one. But, like, you know what? I don't really know. I, that's just, like, the one horror movie I've seen, honestly. And I've seen it enough times where if I found myself in that situation, I'd be like, okay, take the phone. Take photos of some of the people. They turn back into their normal selves. Put cotton in your ears in, when you're sitting in that random room downstairs. Make sure you have the keys. Like, I, I'd, I'd pick up on a few of those things, uh, and I think that would probably help me out. The only horror movies I watch are from Jordan Peele, which is really hilarious considering his career in Mad TV and, and Key and Peele to this point. I'm going to say I would not survive a single horror movie because <laughs> not only do I not generally like horror movies, but I'm scared of if I hear a faucet dripping in my house. So I like I literally would be the one whimpering. I'm going to start crying and whatever the murderer ghost monster is going to be able to hear and find me. I'm going to freeze in, in the face of, 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 of terror uh, so I'm definitely not the person for um, a horror movie. I, I definitely would not survive. I'd be, the thing is, like, if we're looking at movie tropes, obviously I wouldn't be the first person killed because I'm always like the tertiary character, right? I'm the friend. Um, mm -hmm. And I also pass as white, which is really, really important. Um, so I would add some depth. <gasps> wow. So. Wow. I tried my absolute best not to put race and, and skin color into it because I did not <laughs> want to say, listen, oh, well, I'm obviously, listen, I'm not going to survive movies. because you There's know what happens to black people in scary movies. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, but no. And, and so I'd be like, I'd be killed like second to last before they discover who the murderer is or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I'd be around for a bit for like comic relief or whatever, but then I would die. But in like in real life, I would die instantly. I would be the first person. Like I would I would lose the presence of mind to run from a scary situation. Uh, I think is... I'd be the first person to die. I think like I'd be the guy who like randomly is like, oh man, like come on, like ain't nothing gonna happen. And then some kind of like <laughs> random like spear like pierces me in the chest, and everyone's like, whoa, 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 this house might be haunted. I'm the dude who, if we're pulling up at some like haunted house place, be like, okay, something is off with this place. Maybe we shouldn't be here. And then everyone else is all like, nah, man, like we 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 could do this. I'm like, you guys are stupid. And then I get killed, and everyone's all like, maybe he was right. Well, you are right about a lot of things. And so thank you to Julian. Thank you so so much to Julian for. Uh, hanging out with me as Scott takes a much needed night off and for answering all these mailbag questions. If you want to find Julian's work, literally just open any kind of sports media. He is the host <laughs> of the Chris Johnson. <laughs> He's the host of the Chris Johnson show on the Steve Dangle podcast network. He also is an associate editor at The Athletic as well. He has two, 
how many other podcasts are there? There's definitely. Uh, yeah, two others. The Hockey Inside Out show with the Montreal Gazette, where we talk about the Montreal Canadiens and Zone Time with Yahoo Sports, where we just talk about whatever we want to talk about in terms of hockey and hockey Twitter nonsense uh, with uh, anyone else who wants to talk from uh, hockey Twitter, essentially. So, yeah, I, I actually have three total podcasts and not 14 million, like you said at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Three is a lot. I've only got one and I only co-host that one. All right. So uh, for the rest of you who want to find us anywhere, you can email us at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com or keep that address in mind for the giveaways. You can follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe, leave a good review. Uh, and in the meantime, if you liked this podcast, check out Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling. They've been killing it lately. You really want to check out Locked on Bets, available wherever you find this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you Monday. Peace.